Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we tend to like to do that in the world of sports, of books, pastors, comedy, music, great testimonies, the list goes on and on. And and today, I know I've said this before, but today it might be truer than ever. We have comedian, podcaster, coach, speaker, Mike Goodwin on here. And we have been working on this a mighty long time. Mike, you avoided me as much as you possibly could. Is that the way we want to say it? It was like freeze tag, man. You try not to get tagged. You just kind of keep dodging until you get you in a corner. And it's like, oh, it's time to do it. Well, and I appreciate that. I feel like, as I told you, I feel like whenever it goes that direction, God's got something really good in store because his kindness will shine through. And as we started talking about before we came on, you have a new podcast out called The Best Advice Ever. What, what? Best Advice Ever podcast, right. So what, what's the best advice you've ever been given? And what's the best advice that you've ever given? I think the best advice that I have ever been given is to have faith in God. I think that's the best advice I've been given ever, uh, to have faith in God. I think life is a tremendous challenge. I don't know how folks navigate this experience without a God or believing in God and having a relationship with God. So I think that's been the best. I think the best advice that I have ever given someone is if you're tired, go to sleep. I think that's a, I think that's the best advice I can give you. Go wow. to sleep. It's funny. I expected you to say the best advice I've ever given was the same <laughs> advice. Have faith in God. And then you said, if you're tired, go to sleep. Go to sleep, man. Yeah, you know, I don't think people go. To, I don't think people go to sleep enough. I think people try to fight through tiredness. You know what's funny about that is, so we in our ministry, the Gathering of the Miami Valley, connecting men to men and men to God. We go on a lot of retreats, like once a month. Typically, we average retreat. And I tell guys all the time, when you go on a retreat, beautiful cabin, monastery, wherever it may be, sometimes the most sacred, holy thing you can do is go take a nap. It's sleep, man. I, when I first became a Christian. I, you know, the, the scripture talks about entering into his rest. I used to literally fall asleep praying, like, and I don't know if I was praying too late at night or that I would find myself in such a, a, a place of peace that I would just allow God to speak and then I would rest in him, like literally yeah. rest in him. Well, think about how many people, especially young believers or even people maybe who are more mature, we, we almost say that with shame, like I was praying and I fell asleep and... Obviously, uh, the disciples did that, and yet we don't treat that maybe as God giving us a gift. And you know what's interesting about that? So the I, I, I think you know I'm a comedian, so I'm always looking at things a little different than everybody else. Every time when I'm having conversations with Christians, 
when they see that, when they, especially if you're a young Christian, maybe when you get mature and you get seasoned in the faith, but when you're a young Christian, you always see yourself as like the best person in the Bible. So like nobody ever sees themselves as Peter <laughs> stepping out on the water. And, and Actually, but, I've claimed Peter numerous times, just so you're aware. Okay, that's good. You claim Peter, but yeah, nobody Peter. ever claims to be the disciples that were asleep. There were yeah. 11 sleeping disciples. Yeah. I've never heard anybody be like, oh, man, I would have been the one. Yeah. Sleep. Oh, yeah. Like, if if somebody's looking at themselves in a the scripture, they're the person that's in the action. They would, yeah. they would be Peter in the moment where he had faith, but they wouldn't be Peter when oh, he yeah. was slipping. Yeah. And I'm like, it's 11 dudes on the thing sleep. I never heard anybody talk yeah. about. Well, see, I relate to Peter because I've always said that the uh, TV or movie character I most relate to is either Ross from Friends, David Swimmer, or I feel like I'm George Costanza. And I've got a big old fat Costanza looking, not even a wallet anymore. I gave up the wallet and just said, I got a stack of rubber banded gift cards, credit cards, whatever. So I am George Costanza and it's all his goofy, awkward moments that make me him. And you might even amen that. We've had enough dialogue offline that you might say, Jeff, you don't need to explain anything. I know exactly who you are, what you're talking about. Well, I have to confess. I have the one confession because I'm I'm an oddly stubborn person on certain things. I've not seen one episode of Friends. Not one. What about Seinfeld? Oh, I've seen all the episodes of Seinfeld. So, I, yeah, Costanza, spot on. So what TV or movie character do you most relate to in life? Is there a TV character or movie character you're like, yeah, I'm kind of like that guy? No, I think the one... I think there's a there's a uh what's the prototype or there's a I forgot like the archetype maybe is the word I'm looking for. So I think the first time I saw myself in literature and then this this character shows up a lot. But it was in The Great Gatsby. I see myself as really Gatsby. So wow. that guy shows up. He was Don Draper in Mad Men. Oh yeah. It's always the guy that people see a particular way, but he began a different way mm. so that's how that's that's kind of my my story okay i created mike goodwin that everybody sees now. there you go we'll, we'll get more into that with cardigans and what you're going to do about that and all kinds of stuff right but right right let me let me, let me cr- connect how we, we connect the dots here so you and i met at a comedy show and partly went because i'd seen you with john christ and uh i can't remember if it was aaron weber or somebody in columbus i think aaron weber was with you and yeah. uh, really liked you. You know, you talked about you wear cardigans because it's a police repellent. And uh, right, right. That joke alone had me. And uh, <laughs> you weren't afraid to talk about race. You did a thing that night in Centerville at the church, uh, that one of my board members attends, where you were running up and down the aisles doing something <laughs> kind of funny. And that just, right. not, the way you not ran wrong, had me. Not right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just watching you run up and down the aisles was funny. So we talked for a while afterwards. We've been going at this a while. But one of the things I really like about you, Mike, now you cheer for the wrong team, but you're an <laughs> SEC guy. You understand the ministry, the power, the influence of the Southeastern Conference. I'm in Big Ten country. But I tell people all the time, I love Jesus. I'm a minister of the gospel for men, but I'm really a minute. I'm also a minister of the SEC in football and now basketball in some ways too. So, right. Can you give some advice to my friends who love the Big Ten about the SEC? And you can get into Carolina and South Carolina and Gamecocks as you need to. Yeah, I would just say repent. I think that's the first place we start. Okay. I think that uh, if you aren't a member of the SEC church, come on, just <laughs> repent and, and come on over. The water's warm, man. It's, He's waiting for you. Open arms. Amen. We we are here. We're we're loving. 
we're like family. No, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think by virtue of just growing up here in the South, I just got pulled into that magnetism, which we all know is as the essay. Now, and again, another confession. I feel like I'm this is I'm confession hour with wow. my good one. I was not a football fan. I'm a I'm a huge basketball fan. Yep. Me and football have a very problematic relationship, but I became a football fan probably when I started graduate school at the University of South Carolina. And that was probably 20 years ago now. But I as a young guy, I just wasn't a football dude. Mm. That's so amazing. Like I said, looking at you, I mean, you're in good shape. You obviously do your workout thing or whatever. I can't think of too many football coaches that wouldn't. How tall are you, Mike? Uh, I'm probably like six one. Yeah, I can't imagine somebody's not seeing you running behind, you know, a line and getting your finding a hole, finding the, the light a day, and boom, you're off for the races and can hit somebody. And well, that that kind of happened after high school because I joined the army after high school, and I was a little string bean guy. I was like a cross country run a build and i went to i went to basic training i put on like 25 pounds of muscle because they fed us i don't think i was getting fed at, at home when i was growing <laughs> up i think that was an issue so we're hearing words like repent go take a nap <laughs> feed your kids that's kind of the message of this podcast right repent that's get a what nap. we're doing yeah get some food and, and feed your children yeah they, they, that's it's important so you're how old again i'm 47 Okay, I'm 53. I might have you a little bit on this one, but when you talk about growing up as a kid, did you ever eat Vienna sausages? Oh, yeah. Do, do you think about those much at all today? Do you ever think back to your childhood and think, man, give me a couple of Vienna sausages. Where's that little can? Let me open it up. Cheese and crackers. The Vienna sausage, the saltine crackers. Yeah. yeah. The um, the liver pudding. <laughs> I have- there's some things I haven't had. <laughs> so you said years. saltines. One of the things I subscribe to on Amazon to their subscribe and save thing is I get like every few months this multi-pack four very good different flavors triscuits. I can pound some triscuits, <laughs> triscuits and cheese flavors of cheese, some funky pickles. I'm happy. That's good stuff. Yeah. So are you a charcuterie guy? Uh, yeah. I mean, like if somebody's put it together for me, heck yeah. If I got to do it, it'd be a disaster. You know, yeah. Right, right, right. Um, like when I when I go put a table together for my ministry at a fair or a church outing or something like that, my wife's always like, Jeff, get somebody to put that table together for you. You're <laughs> going to leave it looking like a mess. But kind of like my style with clothing, nobody expects anything from me. So anything that looks remotely good, I'm ahead of the game because people are like, Jeff's a mess. So anything he puts together, we'll just applaud that he tried. See, I'm on the other end, and I'm pr- I'm probably far more dressed down today because oh, I didn't know if this was I didn't know this was video or not or just yeah. audio. And I, I got to run and, and do some errands after after I talk. So I wanted to be super comfortable. Well, and you dress down for me because my my number one thing I love to wear is hoodies with college teams. So you with a Carolina. <laughs> what is that color anyway? It's not red. It's not scarlet. Not burgundy. Garnet. Huh? Garnet. 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 Red. Carolina. Gamecocks. So let, let's let's get into some comedy stuff. And first, give us your story of coming to Jesus. What's like the two, three minute Mike Goodwin coming to Jesus story? So I grew up in the church. I, I was raised in a a, a parent. My I, I was raised. I, I'll call it a halfway Christian household. My mother loved Jesus. She was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. My father was just under the influence of spirits like Jack Daniel, Jim B, Palmerson, all, all the different ones. So I grew up in church. I grew up in very Pentecostal, uh, a Church of God in Christ experience. But I always felt a little bit 
uncomfortable. Like I always, you know, I would hear things like God will step right in. He'll step in right on time when you're down to your last dime. And I was like, I don't want to be down to my last dime. Mm-hmm. I want to have a lot of dimes. I don't need <laughs> I don't need God to step in. <laughs> yeah. On the dimes. I might need him to step in on like some healing or mm-hmm. help me select the right wife. Like I need him to step in on some other stuff. So that was always a little bit of a cognizant dissident between me and my church experience. Cause there was there was a lot about that experience I loved and I cherished, but intellectually, I just was like. This all the, the points didn't always add up. Like I wasn't always making sense to me. So and I, I think I think I was a Pharisee. I think I was a young Pharisee. I think I like to be right. I like to point out when people were doing things wrong mm. and I wanted to be right. And then I got to middle school and I found cussing. I found that, oh man, I really enjoy using these words. And I'm in the sixth grade. So I'm mm. like. Oh no, I can't be a Christian and cuss. But apparently you can't do that now. I didn't I didn't realize that when I was in the sixth grade. So I kind of I wouldn't say stepped away from the faith, but I wasn't very active in my faith for a number of years. And then as life would have it, I've always known that God has had a call on my life in terms of not necessarily ministry or preaching, but as leading a life that's pleasing to him. I like I knew my purpose was connected to him. And so I get to college and I'm, you know, big man on campus. I actually went to the army after high school, came to college, big man on campus. I'm older than the majority of the, you know, freshmen. I come in as a freshman, non-traditional freshman, uh, very uh, experienced in the ways of the world. You know, I show up like a, a draft pick, like I'm a first round draft pick <laughs> in college, just in the social scene. And I was a great academic student. I was a great student ambassador, just somebody, the man about campus. Mm-hmm. I was that guy. But there was this hole that just kept growing. And, and it didn't matter what I used to kind of fill the hole. It would, it would subside. I would, you know, find women to fill a hole or find partying to fill a hole, whatever. And it would subside for a while and then would come back bigger. And I just found myself at a church service on a New Year's Eve uh, going out of 2000, out of 1999 into 2000. And I just remember me and my cousin were going to go by the church to see the new year in right. And then we were going to go on to the club and, and kick it. And when that pastor made the altar call, the appeal, I just I just walked to the altar like I was having an internal conflict in a battle with myself. And I knew that, you know, once I made that step and said, you know, I accept Jesus Christ, my Lord and say, like, I was not going to be the type of lukewarm Mm. Christian. So I was like, once I'm in, I'm in. So I got saved. Or rededicated my life, uh, my sophomore year of of college, the 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 fall, coming out of the fall, going into the spring. So like I left school, a heathen, like <laughs> like the biggest big man on campus, you know, the socialite, all that. And then I came back as a Christian, as a as a man of God, as a as a new convert, and I had to walk out my faith in front of folks that really were very skeptical about whether or not I, I'd really made a life change. 
So, Mike, one of the things I noticed about you, and this is just from offline dialogue, and, and I just w- w- when I feel like I've looked at your life a little bit here and there in the different pockets of you doing it, from starting this podcast, doing your comedy, how you go about doing it, who you tour with, whatever, you seem to be very disciplined in knowing who you are, what you can do, not over-promising and under-delivering. How does that – talk about – that being true, because you're shaking your head like clearly that's true. How does that serve you really well? Because a lot of people are not like that. And then how does that even help you as a comedian You know, develop content and find humor in things? And just talk about being self-disciplined and very aware of who you are and who you aren't. That's a great point. Uh, thank you for that. I think that the military was very instrumental in giving me structure and a formula I think I've always had a kind of had that mindset. You know, matter of fact, I, I sent out an email every week. And today I was talking about how stubborn I am. I'm fiercely stubborn. And sometimes that is a great detriment. But in many instances, it's been very positive because I'm very stubborn about things that I believe to be important. I'm, I'm stubborn as a husband. I'm stubborn as a father. I'm stubborn as a as a person that practices my faith. So I think that I lead with the concept of who do I want to be mm. in this world? Like, what is my legacy? How my reputation? I think that's a big part of, of, of my faith and how I show up. I want a good name. Mm. And so I've realized that I'm even right now currently, you know, rereading the book Atomic Habits, and mm. and even when you you know you kind of put your your uh, your focus into the one thing, other you know that type of energy just shows up. You know, different mm. things will show up in my timeline. And I was watching a clip last night, and it was like, you know, a nine hour workout doesn't get you in shape. Twenty mm. minutes every day over a consistent yep. base of time. So I think I learned that in a, a variety of, of lessons. I ran long distance when I when I st- when I ran track in, in high school. I ran the two mile, and it didn't matter how fast you ran your first yeah. four laps, your first six laps. What mattered is if you ran your fastest at the end, if you kept a constant pace. So I think that my discipline and my awareness of pace, I really even in my comedy, I. If you pay attention to my to my comedy, I have I have great content. It's funny. I have great stage presence, but mm-hmm. my pacing and my rhythm and wow. how I use sounds and pauses and what the way I look like I'm I'm so I, I think I'm so interested in the details of things as opposed to now I'm not a great details guy, but I'm. I'm a big picture visionary, but I need folks around me to put the pieces in places. But once I once I have a structure, man, I'm off to the races. And so I think just by the consistency of being disciplined, I've seen it yield fruits in my life. And so I've just continue to do my best to be disciplined. Well, I think James Clear would amen this. I think there's a lot of compounding things you're talking about there. And you don't seem like a guy who wastes whatever. Like, I appreciate that we landed on this to finally happen. But, you know, you were clear when, hey, Jeff, that's not working. I mean, you, you did I say this as a compliment. You did not make this easy for this to happen. But then once we got <laughs> here, like, you know, there was some potential conflict and you still made it work. 
And I, I just respect that in people. I think people who are too easy to say yes to anything and everything, at some point they're going to drop the ball. They're they're not going to follow through. Like, I respect people that are hard to nail down to come speak at an event for us, to do a podcast, to get on board our leadership team, whatever it may be. Um, so let me ask you this. We obviously got to talk humor some. How did you know you were funny? When did you know you're funny? And who who told you you were funny? And why are you funny? So I think... That's a great question. And oftentimes people ask it in the context of was I the class clown? And I wasn't. I wasn't a class clown. I was the writer for the class clown. So I would get <laughs> class clown ideas. And then I would say, hey, man, you think you know how funny it would be to moon the entire freshman class? And the class clown would be like, yeah, that's a great idea. So I was that guy. But my comedy comes from a very painful place. I grew up in, a, like I said, my family, my, my parents we're in a very dysfunctional marriage. My mother and father, my father was an alcoholic. My mother was a, a, a Christian woman. So they would constantly be at conflict verbally, physically. I'm the oldest of three. And I just remember being, I'm in this probably eight to 10. I'm, I'm thinking I'm eight at the time. So I'm, I'm my, the world is starting to make a little bit of sense. And I'm starting to grasp like why on my parents always arguing about money and issues. But I'm also at the point where I, I really can't do anything about it. I'm not physically big enough. I don't have any resources. But what I understood mm. was that I had the ability to make my mom laugh. Mm. And so my goal would be every time they would get in these arguments, my dad would typically either leave the house or he would go in his room and like close the door. And I would just try to make my mom laugh. And it broke the tension in our household. Mm. I have a younger brother and sister. We all were able to kind of deal with this traumatic experience by virtue of me just being humorous. And I knew I was doing a good job because my dad would be in the room yelling. Like once I get everybody laughing, he would be like, what's all that noise going on up there? I'm like, oh, I'm killing tonight. Like, mm. So that was like the beginning of comedy for me. It came from a very painful place. So oftentimes when, when people find out I'm a comedian and they'll be like, you know, people like to trivialize comedy. And I'm like, no, comedy mm. has sustained me in some very difficult situations. Yeah, you're even kind of emotional about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think about my mom, you know, just that, like having the awareness of that as a child, like as an eight, eight year old child, it was pretty big. Yeah. I've interviewed several comedians on here. Heather Land, who you know, I, I had her yeah. on not long ago and I went and saw her show. My wife, about two thirds of the way through, wasn't totally buying in. And then she starts getting into talking about pap smears and uh, mammograms. And my wife was all in on those jokes, thinking it was hilarious. And she goes, Jeff, you don't understand how true what she's saying is. But, you know, Heather was very honest about, you know, you're, you're coming, coming up with a lot of comedy based on pain, based on right. hurt, based on dealing with some stuff. And uh, by the way, I mentioned I saw her at the Columbus Funny Bone. For those of you that definitely need to go see Mike Goodwin, he's coming October 1st on a Saturday night or Sunday night to the Columbus Funny Bone at Easton, which is a great place to go. Get some North Star Cafe beforehand. But um, Mike, tell me this. You have two things you're really known for amongst others, but what you're not going to do 
and cardigans. Yeah. How did those two things come into being? What was the second one? Uh, cardigans. Cardigans. So I think that um, the first one, what you're not going to do is basically kind of all the women I've heard over my life when I was growing up. Because comedy got me into a lot of trouble, Jeff. Like comedy, very similar to uh, to my stubbornness. At some point, comedy was a big liability. But then as mm. I became an adult, it became an asset. So as a child, I constantly was finding myself in situations that I'm writing I will sit down and be quiet in class on the board time and time again. Or I was just constantly being chastised for like, oh, you think everything's a joke. Everything's funny to you, huh, Mr. Goodwin? It was just like an ongoing thing. So I find myself hearing a lot of rebuke, a lot of of lot of correction, and it would often come with these made-up words that a lot of times Southerners use. And one of those was what you're not going to do because I was doing a lot of stuff. And people were telling me what I'm not going to do yep. was the stuff that I was doing. Then the other thing I think the, about the cardigan, I think I'm a, I'm a really, I'm an old soul in some regards. I like retro, like I carry cash. Mm. I go, I write checks. Like I don't have a problem writing checks. And apparently people have a problem with check writers right now. I, I didn't yep. know this. I deposit money at the bank. Like, I go to the oh, bank. I'm with you. I'll take a picture on my phone. But I want to go to the teller yep. and have a, a human exchange. 100%. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I grew up when I was a cashier. I was a courtesy clerk at a, at a grocery store. I like that personal interaction with people. So when I go to grocery stores, I don't go through the self-checkout. I yep. go through a lane where there's a human that is not very nice. They're not very nice nowadays. They don't say. They don't say. <laughs> we won't ask where you grocery shop. You got to go to Publix if you want uh, niceness. If you if you if you go other places, <laughs> you know the worst experience I've ever had with customer service at a retail place was Publix in Florida. I'll leave that story. Oh my alone. goodness! Yeah, worst one ever. My wife would tell you I'm probably still bitter about it today, but that's a whole other story. So, oh man, they they should be on the banned list because that's not. The reputation sure. of public. I'm sure that's public. true. So, hey, I know you, you, we're short on time with you, and I want to respect that. But, Mike, I'm hoping we can do another one later because I got a whole lot of questions. And yeah, one yeah, our, yeah. One of our key elements we do, I'm not even doing because I'm, I'm liking where we are. But put together for me, because I like what you said about yourself and what you do well, but design for us like the ideal perfect comedian. What would they look like as far as who just does the great bits, who's got a great stage presence? Put together for us your ideal perfect comedian who's got a little bit of some different people so i think in my brain like the ideal person is a person we can't even say his name anymore we gotta say like phil frosby like you we gotta say <laughs> something that sounds like yep <laughs> that guy is so phenomenal to me outside of his extracurricular activities like on stage with a microphone i remember going to a show that he he was at, and there were three generations of people there. There were grandfathers, fathers, and sons, grandsons. Like when your comedy can grab an entire group of different generations, to me is absolutely amazing. I think the other thing that makes a, a tremendous comedian to me is someone who has the ability to storytell mm -hmm. and to make you visualize 
what they're talking about. Like you can hear people say things, but when that person talks and you begin to see yeah. imagery, I think, I mean, I don't know if there's a better skill. Then I think the other thing that it, it, that's very important to me that I, I think the best comedians, they, they, they find a way to make what they're talking about resonate with you personally. Yep. Yep. So they may be talking about, their grandmother or their neighborhood, but you automatically think about your childhood yep. and your experience and they pull you into their world. But you also are kind of flashbacking to the nostalgic parts of your world. I think no doubt that's important. I think energy on stage. I think I love I don't think people would say I'm a physical comedian, but I move. A, a great deal. I skip around a room yep. like I do things, but you wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, yeah, that guy's physical. So like being more than just the words that you're saying, like using your entire body as a performance instrument, I think is important for like the the the, the ideal comedian in my mind. So I'm going to give you my based on what you just said, because you said some things I really believe in about making anything relatable. I'm going to give you my Mount Rushmore of current comedians. I'm going to leave you out of it for now. But here, here are four guys I really think have it going right now. Sebastian Maniscalco, or I'd never yeah. say his last name right. Nate Bargatze. Seinfeld's always going to be on the list for me. I just love Seinfeld. I think right. you know, he talks about buying something at the store, and ultimately when it ends up in the garage, that's one letter different than garbage, so it's gone. And then I just saw him live, my sister and I, who were very different, but we had to go see this guy together, Chris Rock. I'm telling you what, I don't care what everybody says. His relatability, oh my goodness. <laughs> What do you if, think of those four? You, can't, you, uh, you can't see it, but behind me are my three that I have. Chris Rock is is up there. There's Dave Chappelle and Bernie Mac are the okay. three that that really have kind of influenced me. But I agree. I agree. Uh, Sebastian, man, like his imagery, mm -hmm. his movement, like he just is, he pulls you into what he has going on. Yep. Nate, he just Nate feels like to me like a point guard. Like he's mm. just setting up the room. Yep. If he needs to shoot, he'll shoot. But he's always going to make the best pass. There's no turnovers. He doesn't have a high foul. You know, he just he's a stat filler. You know, by the time you finish, you're like, man, that guy had a tremendous night. And he, yep. he didn't seem like he moved. Yep. At all, like he just his latest in special in the round. I love how he's in the round because I didn't know how comedy would work in the round. But when I watched his show on uh, what is it, Amazon or Netflix, whatever, he did a great job with that. But I'm really mad at him. If I ever meet Nate, I'm going to challenge him like nobody's business that his one tour or show was called The Greatest Average American. And I didn't think of it, but I've always referred to myself as something close to that. And he stole it. And I'm mad because I'm like, that's me. I'm the greatest average American. I'm averaging everything. Dustin Nickerson has something I can't remember the phrase, but he has a similar like he. he I think he says he's like the Toyota Corolla of like. Of <laughs> you know, Dustin and I have had quite a bit of dialogue. He's we're trying to get him on here. We've we've dialogued and whatever. But Mike, I got to respect your time. You got to go. I hate it because I want another conversation or much more that we to get into. I love that people need to repent of not loving the SEC. <laughs> Ultimate's Tennessee, South Carolina. We'll let them be second. But um, where else can and, people I, and I'll come back. I'll be back. We, we, this hopefully won't be as tedious as it was to do this the first Well, time. I'm going to come see you October 1st. I hope a whole <laughs> lot of people listening come see you in Columbus October 1st. But where else can people find more about you on the, the social platforms and whatnot? 
Right. So you can check me out at my website, MikeGoodwin.com. All the all the things are there, the social media. You can sign up on my email list. That's probably the best place to do that. My podcast is the best advice ever podcast. You can also find me on social media at Bowtie Comedy, whatever it is, whether that's Twitter, Instagram. I'm even over there TikToking. I don't do any dancing or anything, but I, I do put comedy bits up. There you go. Well, Mike, much fruit, many blessings to you. Man, I would love to go check out a game or so. I think if you and I got to go to a sporting event, man, <laughs> we would have a blast. Maybe maybe next time uh, they, they head west from South Carolina and head to Knoxville, Tennessee, we, we'll do a little meetup or something like that and cheer it on big time there. We got to figure something out. So you evolve, huh? I'm evolve. Man. Peyton Manning, T. Martin, uh, Heath Schuler, you name it. So before I leave real quick, I went to that game this year where we played y'all at home and I had no idea that that was about to happen. Like I went very reluctantly. I was like, man, we're about to get the doors blowed off of us. And it was a very different experience. And yeah. it was very surprising. But y'all have a man. Y'all, I think Tennessee's back. I think y'all are back. I hope. It's uh, been a long it's been a long road. They killed me in back. a tournament the other day. The men losing a tournament really hurt. And oh, then, that hurt. But y'all lost that point guard, man. That was a big piece yeah. of your team. Well, here's what's cool for you. When I, I, I my dad had season tickets for years. I used to go when I was single a couple times a year, at least to a game. I saw Peyton Manning, the game against Florida, where he led the band. Uh I said of all the games I went to. South Carolina game I went to one time. I'm like, man, those fans were great. I really loved the South Carolina fans at a UT game one time. They, they were great. Hey, man, we don't often get a lot of victories, but we have a good time. Man. No we, doubt. We no bad. doubt. Well, well, Mike, hey, thanks for being on. It's been a pleasure. 14 months, we got it done. And I'll, I'll look forward <laughs> to next time, and, and we'll follow up offline. Definitely, man. Thanks for having me. All right, my friend. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.